Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Hi, and welcome to our podcast today. My guest today is Judy Hoberman, and everything about her is so authentic. We're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be talking, Judy, welcome, about your new book, which I'm going to hold up, and thank you for giving this to me. It's called Walking on the Glass Floor. You've had several books. Mm -hmm. You've been in business. You've been in sales. You were like the guru in insurance. Just start telling us about where did all of this to date come from? Go back in history and give us a little background, would you? Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I couldn't wait for today to get here. You know, it's funny because a, a woman told me that if you go back to when you're five or six, you're going to figure out why you do what you do today. And when I go back, it's the truth, though. When I go back to being five or six, I remember my father always saying to me, girls, don't do that. Girls, don't do this. Oh. And when you think about what I do now, girls do do this and girls do do that, right? Things have changed. Absolutely. Things have changed. But that really... I think it started the mind going. I, I mean, I didn't take notes at five or six. No. But everything that I did, all I kept hearing was, girls don't do this. Women don't do this. And oh. so it started, the the mind just started flowing. And, mm -hmm. and so now I do what I do. So you started in sales. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that and, and that turning point from being in corporate to going out on your own and kind of becoming a, a, a guru about women in leadership and gender differences and all of that. Well, th the truth of the matter is my first sales position was with the Fuller Brush Company. And if you remember Fuller Brush, then you are around the same age I am. And um, 25. Yes. And you, you, this was real knocking on doors. This yeah. was real true door-to-door -door sales. And when people say door-to-door -door sales today, it's not the same. Mm -mm. But the very first door that I knocked on was my mom. And I thought, this is great, a great way to start because you know your mom's going to buy a lot of stuff from you. And she said no. <gasps> yes, that was the same look that I had. Intentionally? No. What she Well, yes and no. What she said to me was, just because someone loves you doesn't mean they're going to buy something they don't need. Good point. The second part was, just because somebody loves you, they'll introduce you to their friends and family which she did. Mm -hmm. And I remember that going through the, you know, the next few decades, but I'll, I'll never forget that. I mean, the first part is funny when she said no, but then she followed up with why. Uh -huh. um, but I was in construction first. I was in roofing and I was the only female and I had to figure out like, how do you play well? How do you listen? They kept telling me you're the face of the company. And they reminded me I didn't have to speak because there was an expert in roofing that would speak. Yeah, you know, if just look pretty. Is that just what look pretty? Wear a skirt, climb up the ladder, the uh -huh. whole thing. But if if you think about it, women want to be seen as intelligent. I was not seen as intelligent, and so you know, it, it lasted a, a little while. But I ended up in insurance, and that was for a few decades. And what I realized was, again, I was the only female. I was not corporate at the time. We were all independent contractors, and people would say to me, "You're such a girl. You take too long. You ask too many questions. Everyone's your friend." Blah blah blah. To me, that was the translation was, you're building relationships. So my clients oh. stayed with me forever. When I became yeah. you know, a manager, when I became an agency manager, I had three agencies, and I started recruiting people. 
the right people, male and female. Mm -hmm. But I had a lot of women because they thought, if you can do this, why can't I do it? Mm -hmm. And so I was very open to the possibilities. And so, again, differences between men and women. I went to corporate for a very brief stint of two years. I built universities. I built training. And it wasn't the right culture for me. I'm more of the entrepreneurial type. I'm not corporate. I don't like to, you know, hit the time clock and whatever. And if you're not done, you just go home. Mm -hmm. That's not who I am. So when I left, I decided to start my own company. And it's the executive coaching and it's training and speaking and so on. So, Judy, for those of us who have started our own company from going from corporate, that's not easy, is it? I've had so many people through the years say, Valerie, how did you do it? How long did it take? Did you ever think you'd fail? All these questions that, that I had, too. So what was the main challenge that you had when you started out? Without money. I mean, forget the money. The forget the money. Yeah. Right. The, the main challenge I had was that I knew everything. Oh. <laughs> I knew everything. I didn't need anybody. I didn't need anything. I could do this myself. I knew where I wanted to be. I had no business plan. I didn't need anything. And, that, and, and I, everybody was my client. Everybody. Why not? I mean, everybody sure. is sales, right? And um, it, it was like the, the screech when you realize what you're saying is ridiculous. Mm. You can't do it by yourself. You have to find people that have the experience, the expertise, and people that are willing to share it with you because those are your people, mm-hmm. and you have to remember that. And you have to be very focused. And so when I sat back after a year or two, I wrote another book about all the mistakes that I made because I made so many. And I thought if I could save somebody a minute, an hour, a dollar, whatever it is, if I could save somebody something, why wouldn't they do the right way to do it? Mm. You need a business plan. It doesn't have to be, you know, 55 pages. It could be one page, but you have to have a plan so you know where you're going. My biggest mistake was me. It was me because I knew everything. And so you did it right. So I love what you said because <laughs> right? <laughs> it goes right with you were trying to do it right, right and realize the way to do it is not to real think that you know everything. No, I hired a business coach. I did mm. not have money to hire a business coach. You know, that's interesting. You're a coach mm-hmm. and I'm a coach, mm-hmm. but coaches need coaches. Of course they too. do. Elite athletes need coaches. Everybody needs a coach. So why, since you do coaching as well, uh, why do you think, what would you say to people, why, do, why does everyone uh, need to think about having an external coach and the difference between mentoring and coaching? Okay, so first, the, the difference is a mentor is somebody that, it's a, it's a, it's a partnership. Mm-hmm. The two of you want to spend time together, you're going to learn from each other, and you don't have to be in this relationship if you don't want to. And really, it's somebody that has the expertise, is willing to share it, and you're willing to be open and learning, okay. which is not a lot different from coaching, except that coaching, you're actually investing in yourself and in someone else. And a coach is somebody who is very objective, they want the best for you, but they're not going to take your nonsense, and they're your accountability partner. And so the coach that I had, she knew exactly how much nonsense I could give her, and she knew exactly which buttons to push, so I stopped. Because, again, I knew everything. And and this is, this is the honest truth about how I knew how valuable she was. She had told me I was going to write a book. I said, I am not writing a book, have no desire to write a book, not going to do it. And she said, okay, so don't write the book, but for the next meeting, I want you just to outline the book. And so I gave her the one of, like, the rolling of the eyes, whatever. And so our next session, 
at the end, she said, read it to me. And I said, read what to you? And she said, read me your outline. Hmm. I didn't have an outline. And she said, okay, here's a different question for you. You now live in Dallas, because I was new to Dallas. She said, do you know the busiest intersection? I said, yeah. She said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get in your car. I want you to drive to the busiest intersection. I want you to roll down your window. I want you to take your wallet, throw it out the window, roll up your window, and drive home. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. She goes, and that's what you do to me every single week. Wow. Yeah. That was pushing my buttons because uh-huh. I thought, well, why would I waste anyone's time? I would never do that to somebody. And that's uh-huh. exactly what I was doing. And I was wasting my own time and my own money. That was bold. Totally bold. And it really resonated with you. Totally resonated. And I tell the story. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, I'd love you to be my coach, but I, I've already tried that. I've already done this. That's mm-hmm. not my person because that, mm-hmm. that's what I would have said. You bet. And so then I tell the story. And, you know, and then they understand or they don't. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was, that was <laughs> eye-opening. And that's what good coaches do is open someone's eyes to Mm -hmm. things they can't really perceive. I want to go back to your books. So you have how many books? I have four. I have four. And when did this one, Walking on the Glass Floor, come out? It came out for International Women's Month, so it came out in March. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it's... It's a different type of book for me because all my books are about men and women and the differences. And this is truly about women in leadership and the men that champion them. So it's not necessarily about the differences and it's not necessarily about sales, although we're all salespeople. It's really about letting women understand that they are more than enough, that they do deserve to be in these leadership positions. And here are the seven qualities that we forget about having. And a lot of us forget that something like generosity, something like authenticity, something Mm -hmm. like um, courage, these are really great leadership qualities that we don't, either we don't know their leadership or we forget about them. We push them down. So that's that's what it is, and it was it's an awesome book. It is an awesome book, Judy, and and I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I haven't read it page by page, but I've certainly read all the way through it. One of the things I like about it, besides your stories and all the topics about it, passion, authenticity, which I'll get to in a moment, courage, communication, decisiveness, resilience, and generosity. But the other thing is, in the intro, you make it clear that if I want to just go to one part of it it's not like you're supposed to read it all the way through so if if it's all right with you I want to hit on authenticity since that's a a major a major thing you know women uh, come to me a lot too and there seems to be this confusion about well who should we be you know should we be the the masculine leader uh, and show more masculine traits or should we try to be who we are and who is that and there's there's all this stuff I did some research I want to share with you and mm-hmm. the listeners this is from I hope I'm pronouncing it right uh, Jasmine Katab from the Rotterdam School of Management and they just recently did research about the gender differences and women leaders so this is so much about what you mm-hmm. and I believe in yep. Here's what he did. He studied, first of all, he brought a lot of women leaders together, and he asked each one of them, what's your style? Are you more on the softer side? Are you, do you lead with your feminine side, if you will? Or do you see yourself as more masculine in how you lead? And so they identified what they thought and what that looked like. That's important. Well, what does that look like? I ask that question all the time. And then they asked the teams, 
Now here's what's really interesting. The teams who worked for the women who said they were generous and kind-hearted and those kinds of things, when that woman made any alteration and showed toughness, then the team was kind of taken back like, well, well, what is she? Who is she? And then on the other hand, the team that worked, teams that worked with the women who showed more masculinity, those team members didn't like their bosses as well. So, oh my gosh, how do we win? What is, what have you found is a way to say to a woman, here's how to lead? Well, I mean, Everybody leads differently, and every woman is different. And you can be the most feminine girly girl and still have a masculine side, because we do. You know, if, if you, I love to be able to give time to people, but when you catch me getting on a plane and I pick up the phone, I'll say, yeah, I've got 10 minutes, go. Mm-hmm. Like, basically, that's what it is. It's mm-hmm. not, how are you? What's going on? Because you don't have the time. Mm-hmm. But as a leader, you also have to know what your team, how your team reacts to it. There's been other studies where they were talking about hiring men or women. And I always tell my clients, cut off the name and look at the resume. Good point. Right? Because it has to be the person that's qualified. It doesn't matter, male or female. Mm -hmm. You can't just put a woman in leadership. That's what they did to me, and they checked the box. That's not what you want in a good good leader. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so they did this study, and, you know, they said, we're going to try to figure out from resumes, blah, blah, blah. And so what they did was they took a female resume, and they changed the name to John. And John's resume was amazing. I mean, this, this person had achieved all these different levels, and wow, what a great person it would be. Then they gave the same resume for Jane. Oh. And they said, she sounds so aggressive. And there you go. So, it, I mean, so even if you showed up every day as you and something changed or there's a little stress or something in your life, life happens, and you have a little bit of a different personality, it doesn't mean that you're not authentic. And it doesn't mean that, you know, somebody has to change their perception of you. P- people, whether you're a team or yourself, you have to understand that things happen and you're going to change. That doesn't mean you're not authentic. You're not really changing. You're not. You're, it's you're just, handling the business. Absolutely. I mean, you, you look at, you look at uh, social media. Mm-hmm. All these people that are claiming to be authentic, we know half of them. And that, that's not who they are anyway. <laughs> if they right? have to tell us, do, do you, I mean, really? Really. I'm authentic today. I feel so authentic. Or I'm so, I have such integrity. Yes. Why are you telling me that? Right. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. that's not, that, and that study is probably a really interesting study to read mm-hmm. the entire thing. But truly, it doesn't mean, because we all have masculine, feminine sides, men and women. Sure. You know. So one of the things, tell me what you think about this, Judy. I'll let you coach me. One of the things (laughs) I tell my female clients is um, be sure that you are vulnerable enough with your team to let them know you. And when, when you're with them and they know you and you're more transparent than not, in other words, I have had people say, oh, well, I don't want anyone to know anything personally about me. This is all about business. Well, you know, you're, you're a person, so that doesn't work so well. But when you're being vulnerable and you're getting to know your team, you know them well, you want to, you want them to know you, and at the same time, tell them what your triggers are. I'm finding that most leaders don't tell people ahead of time Let me just share with you, Judy, these are some of the things expectation-wise that I really appreciate about my team and my team members. 
And these are some of the things that really get under my skin. I'll give you a good example. For me, it's a, it's if you say you're going to do something, do it. Yes. <laughs> that hit you too. <clears throat> yes. And so when I hired the person that still works with me, my precious Tia, uh, I had that conversation with her. And I asked her, I said, what are the things that get under your skin so that I won't do that, right? And so I told her right up front, Tia, one of the things that's really important to me, that's how I said it, is that if I ask you to do something and you agree to do it, I expect it to be done, and she has yet to fail to do. She has never failed to do that. But it's it's how you said it, though. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's not like oh my god, this really gets under my skin. So if you do it, it wasn't that. No, you just you explained what yeah. you like, you explained what you don't like, and I yeah. think that part of it is communication. communication. And I don't have a problem being transparent. I think there are some things that you have to leave personal because it is personal. And that's mm-hmm. why they call it personal. Right. But there are things that you should share with your people. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when my mom passed away, I had lots of clients. I was in sales, and they were all very good friends of mine. And I remember thinking, should I tell them? Should I not tell them? And then I thought, why wouldn't I tell them? This is a life-changing event for me, and I was struggling with it. And they were all really supportive, and they really understood, and they never went, ooh, why did she tell us that? You know, it wasn't like that because I had been transparent. I had told them what I expected. And when you talk about expectations, when I was in my high high sales days, I remember training my clients. I before I would leave, I would set up my next appointment with them because it was every 4 weeks. And I trained them. And I remember one day I was leaving and one of my clients said to me, "You forgot something." And I'm looking around and I like she said, "We didn't set up our next appointment." Oh. So you if you set the expectations, it's something that people will follow because they know that's what you like and they want to please you. It's the same way, though, because you have to know your people and how to work with them and please them. A leader is not just a leader by title. Mm-hmm. A leader is a leader that somebody can, you know, they want to follow you. They want to be able to learn from you. And, and they hope that you're learning from them as well. I learn from everybody every day. You know, something that's because like, you're open. Right. You, and that's a, that was the You other don't thing. know it all. That's you right. You realize I that. I totally don't know no. it all. <laughs> but there's some things that people tell me that I don't really want to hear either. <laughs> <laughs> like, Judy, what do you do with, uh, some of our listeners may want to know this answer, because I sure do, and that is, so let's say I'm working in a big company, mm-hmm. and the culture, let's talk about culture. It would be super good if all cultures fit you. <laughs> not so much. No. So you're in this company, and you're not going to leave. The culture isn't what you'd love it to be. But can you change as a leader the culture in your corner of the world, and if so, how? Well, culture starts at the top, okay? The, the person at the top is directing the way culture is. So if you don't like it as a leader, you have to look at yourself first and say, what am I doing that is causing this? If it's not you, you have to go above. All right, now let's stop for a minute. Mm -hmm. What's culture? Culture is when you walk in, Mm -hmm. whether it's a building, an office, or whatever, it's what's surrounding you. It's part, there's core values that are attached to that. If your core values don't match, it's never going to work. And it can't just be up on the wall. Those are the core values. How often do people go, oh, yeah, I know exactly what our core values are and our mission statement and all of that. I have asked people, what's your mission statement? It's on on your website. And people Uh go, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. So, yes, it can't just be on the wall. Mm -hmm. The reason I left was because my core values 
and their core values were in this internal clash all the time, and I couldn't do it anymore. And That's so, a big one. And so I jumped. Mm -hmm. I jumped ship. Um, but you can change the culture. It doesn't happen overnight. You have to remember that culture, it takes time to change culture. But for instance, I mean, we're doing a training where we are changing culture in companies. And the culture is because we want to be more, have a standard that we want to meet to have more women in leadership and have the men that champion them. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't do that overnight. No. You have to find out like what, what is in your background? What's making you feel like this? And try to change some of the things that could be the unconscious biases. Because there was a study done, and both men and women, this was the first time they ever did a study together, both men and women say that the problem with women in leadership and not having those positions is cultural bias. Because it is the bias in the culture that the, the, the people at the top really don't want it. And so, you know, it's, it's things like that. But culture is what you're walking into. It's your, it's your core values. It's your responsibilities. It's all the things that make up the company. Now, you can't just say we're the best company, we have high integrity, and we're authentic because that doesn't mean anything. But if you work for a company that stands for something that you stand for or they stand for something you don't stand for, that's what you have to try to, to weigh. There's, there are companies where the people at the top, you're not allowed to talk to them. You can't talk to them because they are at that level. What kind of culture is that? What kind of culture is that not? Right. So that's what I'm saying. So it's not just what you say. It's also what you do. It's how you present yourself. It's how you show up every day. And when you walk in, you shouldn't always have that feeling in your stomach like, I, I, I just can't be here, or this is really aggravating me, or whatever. It shouldn't be like that. It doesn't mean it's, it's all you know rosy and unicorns and lollipops and cupcakes either. There has to be some kind of level of professionalism. But the culture is what really is going to drive the business. That's what makes you successful. You know, one of the best things I think that's happened is that survey of best places to work. Mm -hmm. Because when a company goes through that process, which takes a long time, and is awarded that, it really does mean something. On that note, Judy, let's say that the culture of the company you're working for is really nice. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, uh, your particular boss that comes in may be new from the outside and you have some conflict with this boss. You don't want to leave because the company's great, but there's this conflict. How do you handle, how does a woman handle conflict with a boss? The first thing I would do, because it did happen to me, the first thing I would do is I would sit down and have a conversation and ask them, what they're looking for, what their goals are, how can I be part of that? Because you want to have that kind of a partnership. There are bosses that you'll never get along with, and you just have to respect each other. I think that's a major point. Absolutely, yeah. because there are people that you will never, ever have a relationship with, and that's okay. And, and don't take that monkey, no, because that's not your monkey. That's right. That's right. And so you, how do you work around that? You, yeah, again, you still find out what it is that they're trying to accomplish within their department mm -hmm. and how can you be part of it, and you just do your thing, mm -hmm. and that's what you do. And you don't have to invite each other out for dinner, and you don't have to you know, go for drinks, and you don't have to love each other's children. It, it, it isn't like that. You leave it in the office, and you leave it there. And when you get home, it doesn't come home with you because that's a big part, too. And not take – that, that is a big part because it, when the rubber hits the road – if you're going to have that kind of relation, you know, the boss isn't going to be there forever, no. right? And you might but not you either. But you do the best you can do. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was just going to say, and try not try not to take it personally. That's really, really hard. 
But but you said leave it at work. Leave it at work. Well, there, you there, can leave it at work. Yeah, there's actually a story I read. I can't even remember where I read it. Somewhere, maybe it was on the internet. I have no idea. But this gentleman had a lot of stress at work. And every night he would come home, before he walked in the door to see his family, who he adored, mm-hmm. he went over to his tree, and he put his hand on the tree, and he said, I'm leaving all the stressors of work here. I'll pick it up tomorrow. Oh, what a great story. Right? And so he went Love in, that. and he was, and, and again, you know, it's your family, and there's things that happen in your yep. family. But he was there for his family. He was there for dinner. He was there loving each other. And in the morning, guess what happened? He never picked up the stressors. He just... He brought them home every night, but he left it on the tree. He left it. And so you really can do that. Absolutely. My husband that uh, worked for many years for IBM would never tell me a whole lot about what was going on at work. I used to think, oh, gosh, why doesn't he talk to me? But he said one time, I don't want to bring it home. I want to leave it at work. And I never forgot that. Right. And appreciated it. Now think about husbands and wives that work together. Well, yes, that would be us now. <laughs> right. And so you have to have the tree. Yep. You have to have something that when you come home, it's home. And, and this is your safe place. And this right. is where you want to be. And, and all of that stuff has to wait. Because otherwise, you're going to be in constant conflict. And there's the reason that it doesn't work in culture. Mm-hmm. Because you can't, how do you get rid of it? And you know, Judy, back to authenticity, if you're married and you're working together and your mindset is that you're going to now have family time, husband time, wife time. Um, that says you respect Absolutely. your spouse mm-hmm. and that it's not all about you. <laughs> okay. Right? Yes. Because I think the, the saying is that it's really funny when somebody, deser- di- somebody discovers the center of the earth and it's not about you. And it's not about them. Yeah. The world didn't get the message. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, really? Really? <laughs> but it's hard. It's hard, because especially if you, have, hard. if you have big, you know, powerful, too powerful personalities. It is hard. But the, but the truth of the matter is it isn't about you because the stuff that's happening isn't about you. What's happening in your home is about you. Mm-hmm. That's, you know. That's called life. Yeah, work is work. They call it work because it is work. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'd rather have a life than just work. Yeah, absolutely. Great points. I'd love for you, so the years that you've been in business and um, your experiences, I ask you to come up with some things that you'd be willing to share that from the depth of your very being all this time, what are three things you've learned that you'd be willing to share for us to consider and reflect on and I think one of the things that you have to really, really think about is um, how people respect each other. Mm -hmm. Because I do believe that it's a lost art. People have forgotten. Isn't that sad? It is very sad. You know, I I was speaking in front of a group of millennials, and one of the things that I said was, you know, we have to do the golden rule. And it was as if I spoke another language. And I said... (laughs) Do you know what the golden rule is? And I said, and they go, oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, that. So I think that what's happening is we don't have enough family time. We don't have enough time to teach each other. And we have to, we have to go back a little bit because we went from one extreme to the other. We were family, 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 and then we weren't. That's true. So I think that one of the things is respect. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think what else I said. Oh, here's a big one. Here's a big one. So... Men and women have to understand that women are the decision makers. <laughs> and I know that a lot of men that listen are going to say, mm, oh, not so it. much because it's, it's more about um, I make the money or whatever. Uh-huh. But women not only make the money, they spend the money. 
And so women are the real decision makers. So you have to start realizing that women uh, influence 85% of all consumer purchasing decisions. That's a fact. Yeah, That's totally a fact. that. Yeah. And the other thing is you have to make sure that, and this is what I did, you, don't, you can't help everyone. You can't help everyone. As a coach, we're both coaches. Mm -hmm. Not everybody are, is our people. You can't say whatever you're doing is that something that I can help everyone mm -hmm. because you can't. You have to really identify who your person is and then really live in that sandbox with those people because that's how you become successful in business and that's how you're authentic because you know your space, you know your market, and you know what your expertise are. Nobody knows everything. I take it for somebody who tried that. <laughs> You've I'm a, said I'm that a several times. I'm a recovering perfectionist. I mean, I, I thought I got it all going on. I don't. The, the cape that we used to wear is very 70s. It doesn't exist anymore. No. We, we're not super women. Mm -hmm. we all, all we want is, my tagline is, women want to be treated equally, not identically. We just want the same opportunities. Say that again. I thought that was just really, really strong. Women want to be treated equally, not identically. Great. Right? Yes. Just give us an opportunity and then watch us. Right. You know, support us, mentor us, whatever we need, but give us the same opportunity. Mm -hmm. And Judy, you're such a giving person. I know that from knowing about you, knowing you. And so I'd like to have you share the foundation that you started with this book. How did that come about? Well, my mission has always been to help one woman a day. And that's, people. Now that's interesting. Right. One woman a day. Right. You're really able to do that. One woman. And people will say to me, what about 100? What about 1,000? What about a million? No. If I helped one woman a day exponentially, that's uh -huh. huge. It is. And that's all I wanted to do. So I thought if I could help one woman a day, why can't we do something that can help more women mm -hmm. in a different way? So portions of the proceeds from the book, Walking on the Glass Floor, goes into our foundation. So we can support women that can't afford to do training or coaching or anything like that. We can hold events for them. We can support them in the ways that they need to be supported and empower them. So we're very, very excited about that. And you know, there's companies that are showing interest in the foundation because they want to do things for women because that is women are the women are our future. That's right. So but thank you for asking about well, that. Well thank you for doing that. That shows your heart, Judy. You know, thank you so much. Uh, tell us, uh, I know, but tell our listeners how they can get this book or any of the others. You can go onto my website, which is either Selling in a Skirt or Walking on the Glass Floor. You can go to Amazon because everything's on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm all over social media. So if you need anything, either Selling in a Skirt or Judy Hoberman, I'm everywhere. And I do respond personally. And that's authentic. That's totally authentic. <laughs> Judy, thanks so Thank much. You. What fun we had today. Thank you so much for having You're me. You're so welcome. Just keep doing all your wonderful stuff out there. And uh, if any of you are interested in knowing more about Judy, do go to just Google her, Judy Hoberman. Yeah. There's yeah. a whole lot that will come up. And so I want to thank you for listening today. And tune in next time when we'll have another super guest giving us great information. If you're interested in one of my books too, this one is different, has to do a little bit with leadership for women because that's what it's called, Monday Morning Leadership for Women, and it's also on Amazon. Thanks, Judy. Thank you. Uh -huh.